much for being here with me. Thank you for having me, sis. What's up? Dude, <laughs> nothing. How you doing this Sunday? I'm doing well Sunday. I'm doing well this Sunday. Um, chilling. It's kind of quiet. My teenagers are gone. So mm. it's the time to get into it. Right on, right on. Well, y'all, look, I came into Higher Cipher at a time where I was, I felt applying myself to the study of knowing who I was as a Black Indigenous person in America. You know, hi, I went to Howard and I got a nice, well-rounded African-American education, you know what I mean, which was valuable for me. I got into, you know, sociology and psychology, clinical psychology is my background. And then I got to a point where I dove into what I think some people call the Black conscious community, where I wanted to really engage that aspect of myself and came into that space. And I think that's when I came into your cipher and, and, and we sort of linked up. And um, I, I just always remember feeling, you know, that your energy was dope and that you were a positive sister. And I love to watch what you were doing. Y'all Haya is a culinary artist, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, being plant-based, you're always looking for inspirational recipes and, and not just recipes, but we know the impact of energy. So the energy of the people preparing the recipes. And I always felt like, you know, when I encountered you on my feed and over the years, it was just always such a nice vibe. And so when I came into this aspect of my work, like, yo, I want to start having conversations. You know what I mean? I want to start collaborating with good people, my good people, you know, you came to mind. And so thanks for being here. <laughs> Well, wow. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored by all of that. So that you said a mouthful and it's always surprising to hear how other people perceive you. Um, and I've been on my journey as far as knowledge itself for it's a, I'm going to say 20 years, about 20 years. Right when I was 19 or 20 is when I gained knowledge itself. And um, got on this journey. And so um, I never think of myself as somebody that's influential in other people's journey. Um, so I better start. I better recognize, right? I got to put some respect on my own name. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm honored. Let this be a reflection. That that's, that's how you are viewed, you know, Thank at you. least by me. <laughs> You know, I'm sure others can chime in. I see them right here. Hi is always good energy. That's right. Thank you. That's right. That's right. And so, hi, I just wanted to start off before we really dig into, you know, plants and revolution and, and how, you know, I've come to know that, you know, minding what we put in our bodies, that's a matter of our lifestyle. And when, when we start minding that, we understand that we're really doing inner revolutionary work. Right. That's one aspect of it. And so before we get into that, though, I just want to know, like, tell me how you, in brief, how you came into such an investment in wellness and plant-based living and, and vegan, you know, cooking. Um, I can't take any credit. <laughs> I can't take any credit for it. Um, I always like to tell people that I am on their side. I understand our food cravings and our addictions and um, how our relationship with food, because that was 
and still is me to certain degrees. This whole plant-based idea was my husband's idea. I knew him a lot. That it, it was all his idea. He's a very studious man, um, very, very incredibly disciplined man. And as our family grew and we progressed and his studies progressed, he decided to implement plant-based um, diet for our household. And I was actually the last person on board with it. Wow. Actually had completely gotten rid of the dairy and the eggs in the meat. And I was still hanging on to my Hebrew national hot dogs. I was still hanging on to, <laughs> to my egg whites and my big breakfast burritos. <laughs> and I got sick. Mm -hmm. I got overweight, grossly overweight. For my, I'm, people don't know I'm only four foot ten, y'all. I'm only four foot ten, according to the body mass index. I'm supposed to be around 125 pounds. So, being upwards of 150 pounds was way too big, and it was unhealthy for me. I experienced so many daily struggles that I actually had to go to a plant based diet. My husband got in touch with uh, Dr. Ali Muhammad. Some of y'all know him from Arna and got in touch with Minister Inki. At that time, they were working together and I was placed on a particular regimen of herbs, um, detoxification and uh, the complete plant-based diet. And it was at that time that I fully committed to it. And it's at that time that I discovered my gift for creativity with food. Right. Oh, I'm the Homer Simpson of the family. I, <laughs> I want the donut. <laughs> so there is somebody behind me pushing me and keeping me guided and on track. It's that not all so important. Wow. That's a beautiful story of leadership. You know what I mean? And and your husband taking the wellness of his family you know, as top priority. I, that is so beautiful. Absolutely. sharing that. Yeah. That Most of the time we hear the other way around where it's the woman, you know, initiating changes like that, trying to pull her husband along and, and so forth. But that's a beautiful, I think, um, demonstration of the divine masculine being in his role and really covering his family and leading them in a strong way. That's really dope. And so you came into to health and wellness, correct? That's, that's what happened, actually. Yep, that's how I came in. I came in that way, and um, I've always worked part-time. Not always, but for the last decade, I've worked part-time or been able to be present and be at home for our children so naturally, his impl his implementation, it was my duty to, to make sure that it happened, to execute it, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's where the creativity, the shopping, the shopping lists, and knowing the layout of the stores, and so much of um, what you see the end product of, that's how, how that came into play. Wow, that's beautiful. Now, you mentioned Dr. Ali and Inky, both 
massively influential brothers. I didn't want to name anyone in particular because it's a band of them. Yeah. Really putting in work to educate our people about first our particular biology, which right. is an important point, and how, you know, socially and spiritually we can't activate and mobilize because we're crippled in the body, because we're eating these foods given to us by an energy in a figure that really doesn't want to see us win, you know, doesn't want to see us rise and be our best self. And totally those guys are my teachers, you know what I'm saying? So that that's how we got linked right there. Big up, big up to we have to give credit where credit is due. And um we've had teachers that came before those men. Um and for that generation leading like what would have been our parents and even some of us, you know, in our younger years, um, they were the predecessors and those predecessors should not have to stay on their jobs for 80 years, 90 years preaching to us, teaching us. We are supposed to gain that wisdom and pick up that torch and take it further so that our children don't have to come out of the starting block with, with nothing. So I'm grateful for Inky and Ali because they, they're doing the work. And they, like you said, there's so many other people that, that we could name um, that are doing the work really with boots on the ground, doing grassroots yeah. gardening and uh, farm to table projects and things like that, which is, which is like my next direction. That's, that's where I want, what I want to do. Yeah. 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 I mean, I get excited just thinking about the possibilities and, and folks are, are really executing some of this stuff, you mm -hmm. know, step by step though, you know, mm -hmm. step by step. So, you know, as we're alluding to, we feel that, you know, part of our, because if, if we're asking society to change and reform, to honor our rightful station here in this country, on this planet as black people, we have to know that there's some work, inner work that we have to do within ourselves to match that. You know what I mean? We can't hold other people accountable without holding ourselves accountable. You know what I'm saying? So one of the things that I realized is that, yo, me my, taking care of my health and living in a way that's based or suited to my nature, you know, my ancestral nature even, you know, like what were we doing before we were colonized? How were we eating? What was our, what were our customs? So me aligning with that, I felt like that was my inner revolutionary work. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying to modify how I saw food and my relationship with food, and then understanding, wow, now I can come into executing my purpose because my mind feels good, my body feels good, my frequency is tight. You know what I mean? All of those things were directly impacted by my diet. It's not the only way. But it's a very important way, and so integral part. It's an integral part of yeah. revolution and of um, the inner work. It's integral. We you definitely can't leave it out. You know, um, we are. We often say that we are spiritual beings that have manifested in on this plane to have a physical experience, and if that is the case, then it should be obvious that the work is going to be from within. Outward. And we can't do anything without this suit that we're in. We're not doing anything without this suit. So you have to take care of it. You have to take care of this body if you're going to fight. You know, if you're going to have any any level of resistance, then 
it's imperative that we take care of this body. Unless you know how to jump, <laughs> then you got to take care of this one. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, I've been coming into like quantum studies and I've seen some posts of yours that indicate that you have too. And we do understand <laughs> that the mind really um, is, is driving it all and that, you know, we can get a handle on the mind if we can feed our mind the right things. We got a, we got a better shot. You know right. what I mean? But, you know, when we speak of like levels of evolving, we know that it's very difficult to activate the quantum aspects of your consciousness to start manifesting things and evolving at a rapid rate if the body is just not supporting that. You know what I mean? And so that's when I've seen the most monumental shifts when my, my body and the way I was using my mind in consciousness was aligned. And right. it's so much easier for me to do that when I was on a plant-based diet. I'm just be frank, you know what I mean? Right. And so I also wanted to get a sense from you, Haya, because, you know, I was brought up Christian. And I know that, you know, you're Muslim. And I, all, I remember getting to a point where I realized, wow, no disrespect to anybody, but wow, these folks are more disciplined. You know, when I had my uncle come to me and say, I don't eat that swine, you know what I'm saying? Like he had converted himself to Islam and he's like, I don't eat that swine. I'm like, wow, <clears throat> that was the first time I ever heard of anybody exercising some discipline with dietary restrictions right. with my uncle, you know what I'm saying? And so can you talk to me about like the influence of, of your, spiritual, your spiritual path on your, your health and lifestyle? Right, definitely. Um, being Muslim, the first the first thing that you would abstain from would be, like you said, pork. Um, and then the second thing you would abstain from would be alcohol. And for me, I took Shahada in 2001. Shahada is your statement of faith when you actually declare that you believe that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. Once you do that, you're considered a Muslim. So being at that young age and never having had anyone around me that abstained from pork, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, pollutants to the body and to the mind and to the spirit, um, it was... It was a a gauntlet. It was like it was like running a gauntlet. It was like you ducking and dodging all of these traps. Um, but it was specifically when I came into the mosque in the Nation of Islam when I was introduced to How to Eat to Live by uh, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad that that level of discipline increased. It was like a, we, you know, we use the term now level up, but it was like that. It was like a, being in an elevator and going from floor two to going to floor four or five. Um, and it wasn't as hard because I'm coming into a whole community, right. you know, that's of people that are supported. We're coming into a community of people that have industry that allows them to have access to the right foods, allows you to have access to certain types of fish and, um, you know, farm 
farm uh, beans and things like that where you don't have to always go to the grocery store. You can get your things ordered through the mosque. And having that community and having um, those recipes and those sisters that will call you on the phone and walk you through making bean soup, it was just so much more easy to see the benefit in abstinence from the things that were harmful to you. And the more you do it, the more you grow. So it was so, so, um, that time in my life from, from about the age of uh, 21 up until about 30, 32, 33, um, that time in my life was just such a, I don't want to say a pure time, but I can't really describe it any other way. And sometimes we need that. Even if you're not Muslim, even if you don't prescribe to any specific religious time, you need a time in your life where you purge mm. the negative habits, when you purge the destructive um, you know, thoughts, when you purge what is in your body that, that's harming you, and you just live a clean life so that you can actually know that your perception of what's going on around you isn't tainted and it's not skewed by Ooh. other type of something that's altering your your mental, you know, or altering your spiritual makeup. I've often had mothers that I work with that ask me or tell me that they they've got a black son that's in the public school system that um won't sit down, you know, um is active and they're beginning the process in the school. The te the teacher and the administration is beginning that process of labeling him. And they want to have a conversation about the teacher. They want to have a conversation about the school system, but I don't. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, what are you feeding him? Are you taking him to McDonald's on your way home? Are you bringing him Pizza Hut to lunch? Or are you giving him red juices and red drinks and things with Lake Six and Yellow Number Four and those types of things? Because you're Ooh. the line of defense that's You're the first person to implement the protocols for what's going on with your children. And it's like we say, it starts internally. And on the spiritual aspect, a lot of our babies are coming here as enlightened beings. It's my constitution that all of them come here like that. They come here enlightened. They come here knowing. They've already got the program and the download what it is that they need to do we stunt them when we are still carrying negative habits when we're still when we're still carrying the program that um the opposing force gives us and we've got an indigo child we've got a gifted child we've got a messianic child on our hands that we don't know what to do with and then we're giving them all of these intoxicants and it's aggravating their system so what we need to do is we need to take that away from them and give them the proper nutrition so that they can just be gods and they can they can hey. do it. <laughs> here to do it. Get out of that baby's way. That's right. I don't know if I strayed <laughs> from, no. from the original question, but I, I wanted that to like be driven home because we can do it. It's not that hard. A lot of times uh, we have children, and I remember being like this. I had a kind of aversion to flesh 
when I was younger, mm-hmm. you like children that they they don't want to eat the meat the way that it smells or sometimes the way that it looks is something that kind of turns them off about it and they don't they don't like the taste or the texture or something and they would rather just eat the peas and the mashed potatoes together or something like that and then we kind of curve that and we kind of make them eat the meat and and you know all the other stuff and eventually that it becomes part of their habit and we need to kind of pay more attention and listen to our children more when they're telling us and they're communicating to us what it is that they do and don't like because they know they they know we need to we need to get out of their way we need to help facilitate their growth and their development um with their diet and then we need to let them let them go out and make and make the way for everybody yeah, else yeah yeah we take care of the soil that allows them to bloom Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, you just hit on so much. <laughs> you just hit on so much. We teach our children just by, and you know, we have to talk about the way we're conditioned generationally. Right. And something like, eat all that food on your plate. I grew up yeah. hearing that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, wow, yeah. I was being conditioned to stuff myself. Right. Because right. ancestors didn't have, you know, you didn't know when you were going to get your next. So, evolution you know an evolutionary perspective we were preserving ourselves but now we have abundance but i'm still being told to eat everything on my plate you know what i mean i was in the school system in new york um teaching at a catholic high school and coaching at the time and i would watch the kids go to lunch and come back and just flatline wow they just crash they come up and then they just crash. And then the mind is not primed. They can't retain information. The moves, the, the emotions destabilized. Um, I remember watching that closely like, wow. You know, so so Haya, tell me, like, what are some of your techniques? I have a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't born vegan, but she converted very young. And then I have an 11-month-old who's, you know, vegan from birth. And I'm navigating you know, my first, I navigated my first vegan pregnancy and, and now him. Um, and it's just, it's just amazing. But I know with my daughter, she goes to school, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I have to trust that, you know, I've given her what she needs and she's been packing lunches for years. Do you have any suggestions of how to deal with teenagers and children when they have to go out into the world and be confronted with what everybody else is eating, you know? when when they come from something different um the my first thing is to treat them like like they're gods with regards to the transfer of information so when i learn about a food when any of us learn anything here in the household about food because we introduce new fruits and vegetables into our diet all the time we're always introducing new supplements and things Mm. like herbal supplements into our diet so it becomes a, a a learning a teachable moment at that point and the more involved they are in the process of of learning and knowing about it the more likely they are to adhere to it correct to be frank humans like a sense of exclusivity we like to feel like we up on something that maybe somebody else might not at least when we first get it and 
the children are not exempt to that. They like having that little bit of knowledge and going, hey, okay, yeah, I'm taking bull bad fruit, okay. <laughs> they like that. They like having that sense of knowledge from what I've experienced with my children. The second thing is to trust them. <laughs> the second thing is to trust them. Don't put a lot of pressure on them with regards to, hey, you bet not, you know. If any of us that have been teenagers know, that backfires every time. The thing that you say, do, you better is going to be an open invitation for them to rebel. So trust them. Give them a margin for error and trust that they're going to, that you've given them all the information and equip them with the knowledge to be able to make responsible and healthy choices. Um, those are my two things for teens. For smaller children, by having teens and watching them grow, I've learned a few things for smaller children, especially with parents that are struggling with having curated bad choices and bad habits or not the best habits and now having to try to reverse that. Um, the best thing I could say for smaller children is to make those healthy choices available. Make right. them available. Um, switch from, uh, you know, the high colored foods and things like that to high colored natural food. Grapes have a hue. Blueberries have a hue. Raspberries and strawberries have a hue. Different foods have different textures. You're just going to have to experiment and make it available so that they know that they have choices and there's a variety and children like color. They like smells. Make it a tactile experience. Because we we forget in this like forty hour work week matrixy kind of existence, we often forget that we're actually um, interacting with our environment all of the time. Our brain is the fastest quantum processor uh, that ever existed. We're looking at light. We're experiencing the air brushing against our skin. We're um, smelling different, various different scents all at the same time. We have so much that's going on that we forget to really sink into the experience. And for me, food is one of the best ways to really absorb an experience. Um, the texture of the food, the smell of it, the color, the taste. All of those things are ultra-sensory experiences, and we need to treat our little children like that because they're brand new, and for them, it's the same way. We have to teach them what to put in their mouths and what not. They want to put a shoe in their mouth. They want to put the button in their mouth and everything, not because they think that it tastes good, but because that tongue is a sensory perceptor for them. So the thing that they're supposed to put in their mouth, which is food, we should treat them like that tongue is the sensory perceptor as well. And that will help them develop their palate for things that are good for them, that are healthy, and not just because it tastes good, but because they like the color, they like the smell, they like the feel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And you and you brought us into Yeah, and you brought us into your artistry you know, and your experience with food, which is, you know, like I said, inspiring to me. I love to see what you're cooking. I made a few of your recipes myself. Mm. I think I made a pumpkin soup one time for the first time, peeled the pumpkin and everything, messing with Haya. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bread fruit. Oh my God. So good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about, you know, your cooking and, you know, it. I, 
for me, it's therapeutic. And, you know, I don't always have the most time to do it, but it's an, a creative exercise. And I feel that vibe from you, too. Talk to me about that. And, and talk to me about what you're doing business-wise. Um, For me, the cooking is most often a moving meditation. I don't, I don't sit down and meditate that often for a long time. I, I struggle with that. But for me, I can put my ting sha bells on and I can, you know, smudge the, the area, light me some incense, and then I can go in there and pray and go to work. Or I can put on some funk. My favorite thing to do in the kitchen is like put on some SOS band or some uh some parliament Come and barcades, all of that, and get in there and 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 cook. Um and it was at the point where I started really being creative with uh, with the family that, you know, I got pushed again by you-know-who. <laughs> I got pushed again. Um, he went and did the, the articles, the business articles himself and everything, and just came one day and just kind of slapped it down in front of me like, you need to make a menu for next Saturday. Let's go. You, like that. You, mm. You're not going to put on this. You've got too many talents that you sit on. You're not going to sit on this. Let's do it. So that's how Higher by High Ali was born. It was born out of my love for feeding my family and the need to express it and extend it to mm. my community, which is anybody that comes in contact with me. My community is not limited to the people that live around me. Some of the people live around me see me going back and forth with deliveries all week. They don't inquire, they don't order, but I'm going all the way out to Pearland, which is a far suburb of Houston to deliver, or I'm going way to Cyprus, which is almost another town to make sure that somebody has something, mainly because I want to see people with it. I want to see people, now that veganism is a wave, right? I want to see people eating vegetables i want to see them eating actual food it's Correct. it's so important oh, to drive the point home that you should be eating food yes there are all these neat things that have been manipulated to mimic meat and stuff like that and not all of it is terrible but our relationship with the food that comes out of the earth that has a seed is the way that we stay real. And what I mean by that, what I mean by that is that we know that, and maybe some people don't, but when you are putting something into your body, you start to rewrite that code mm. of whatever it is, which, which is why we have that saying that you are what you eat. So when we're living in a world that is beginning to be more virtual than actual, it's a slippery slope to be willing to accept a virtual food mm. over an actual food. When we look at what's happening with the crisis, the pandemic that we're calling COVID-19, one of the first things that people began to question and anytime an emergency arises for that matter is 
uh, food security and not having access to fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, vegetation might be an issue today. But if if I can get you to accept virtual food, a food that is made out of the byproduct of the byproduct of a plant mm. on top of other chemically replicated polymers and things that make things stick together. If I can get you to accept that, I might be able to, you know, mass produce that and feed you that instead of giving you fresh fruits and vegetables. Because I know that you're not going to be able to function other than at the level of a peon or a worker. Um, you know, cause I'm not going to throw any conspiracy theories out there. We've seen all of them over the past six months. So if any one of those trajectories is even remotely possible, then the choices that you make today with regards to food sovereignty, with regards to what you put in your body so that you can operate at the optimum level and um, what you feed your family and how you get it. How mm. are we placed to the grocery and to the, the mercantile system when it comes to food? Are we willing to grow our own food? Um, we're asking for reparations. Some people are still talking about 40 acres and a mule. Would you be able to farm any land? Do you have an aversion to the to the soil and to the land? Right. Because it's a record from being enslaved or being forced to work um, as a mm. share. Come on, Haya. And only one generation away from a sharecropper. My grandmother, mm. right now today, my grandmother who just made 88, I love a sugar. She has worked in white people's homes all of my life to the point where her 80th birthday party was thrown by them mm. at a restaurant. That is a surreal moment to be sitting with your family in a restaurant and those people walk in and greet your grandmother and the whole family is like, oh, thank you, thank you. It, it, it was like something out of the 1930s or something. So those things aren't far away from us. We're not removed from our struggle from our, pure, our previous generations and things like that. And they affect how we think about food. They, they affect our relationship to the land. Mm. And the and land is freedom. You know, we're talking about a dollar amount when we talk about reparations for black people. But land is freedom. That's why the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that we want land. We need a parcel of land set aside just for us in 20 years to get going. That's correct. So it's important to, when we talk about food, when we talk about that banana, somebody had to farm that banana. Somebody had to had to harvest that. When we talk about anything that we're going to put in our body with regards to food, we have to remember that it comes from the land. And so do we. Mm. And that's important to what you put in your body and how you go about getting it. You know, And to support people that grow food. Support your local farmer's markets. Support them. Even if you save seed. Down here in Houston, we have a seed swap that mm. we do every year. 
And so if you've got some produce and you save your seed, you can take your seeds to the seed swap and, and maybe get something that you wanted, wanted to grow or wanted to have. It's a way for us to keep uh, seeds in our hand and not completely lose the ability to choose, you know, native foods to um, not only to, to where you live, but also to be able to choose foods that um, could otherwise be completely removed out of our diets and then be manipulated and replaced with something else like what happened to corn. Correct. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Oh, <laughs> honey. You didn't brought church on Sunday up in here. This this how I went. <laughs> this right. is this life. This is day in, day out. Um, and I want people to get it. You know, I want people to get it because it's that important. What's more mm. important? What's more important than what you're gonna eat tomorrow? Mm. We gotta start looking at it that way. Right. You know, I came to Georgia. I moved. I'm from LA. Went to Howard in DC. Went back to Cali for a minute, but then ended up in New York for about eight years. And it was when it was time for me to go, you know, soul was kind of stirring. Like, I just felt so disconnected from nature. Mm. Not to say there aren't places in New York where you can go get that fixed, but my soul was just like, yo, this ain't it. You got to get somewhere where you can reconnect with the land. And, you know, I had a few dreams. My great grandmother, she comes to me sometimes and mm -hmm. um, I ended up here. And as a matter of fact, ruby red ochre, that red clay, that was one of the signs she gave me of where yeah. to go. You know, she was like, go where, go, go where they got that red clay. And so mm -hmm. they ended up being a part of, you know, my company's name. But being here and being able to ground when I need to, I just feel so much more fluid and strong and actually connected to my ancestors, I have to say. Being here where I can go out, dig in the dirt. You know what I mean? Actually envision how I would produce something, you know, when and if I get to that point, you know, because you're talking about sustainability. How do you sustain your families when somebody's not giving you food? Right, right. Absolutely. Um, very basic, you know. One of the things that people can actually actively do in your town, you can volunteer. Go to um, a farmer's market or a if there's somewhere where people are growing food, uh, even if it's just a lot, and ask them, can you volunteer? When you volunteer, you have an active, you have an investment. You've made an investment. So a lot of times our people don't have the money to maybe say, I'm going to take 10000 aside, or you know, some of us do, but some of us don't. And you can't say that I'm going to go buy this plot and I'm going to, you know, farm or I'm going to do this. Go give your time. Those plants have to have care. They have to have water. They have to be weeded. The rows have to be cleaned. Um, they have the ground has to be tilled. There's rainwater to be caught. There's all types of responsibilities that go into getting that food from seed to season and if you invest in your local 
farmer's market, they'll invest back into you. You'll be one of the first people to get access to fresh fruits and vegetables, mm -hmm. especially and particularly in times when things like this happen and got shut down because it can't stay on the vine. It's going to rot if it's on the vine. We heard stories of, if you listen to NPR stuff, I heard so many stories about um, farms that were having people drive miles and miles to come get produce because they had to give their produce away because due to COVID-19 when initially back in March and April when it was really everything came to a screeching halt there was a lot of um, logistic problems with getting the food from the farms to right. the truck to the grocers a lot of them had to give their produce away and those were the big farms so the small farmers markets in times like this where they having to watch how much contact they have with people. There may be restrictions about gathering and stuff like that where they can't gather and all you can come through is come, go through, all you can do is come through and pick up a bag. If you're a volunteer, you're going to be uh, sure to have some insurance as to be one of the first people that can get access to fruits and vegetables if something like this happens or if it worsens and, and times are more constricting and the grocery stores go dry. I haven't had the chance to do it, but I do know at least one or two brothers and sisters in the city that do farm and stuff like that, that I know that if I go and put in some time or I go invest in them, I know that I'll be able to get something. Correct. Yeah. That's a real world solution that you can actually implement and you can do. And it's yeah. good for children. And just really becoming familiar at this point, like, you know, where I am in Georgia, there's a few farms, you know, fruit stands and things like that. Just becoming familiar with alternatives, you know, right. for sure. And supporting these smaller businesses and, and smaller farms. We're going to have um, the sister from Herbaceuticals on, um, I don't know if it's next week or the following Sunday. And she's out here in Georgia and she does, you know, gardening. She has a vegetable garden spice garden just doing amazing things she has a line of products but just we're going to get on with her talking about you know working the land and even wow. if we're not able to we have to cast our vision you know forward to say hey what am i able can i just get some buckets out there and, and play around with some cucumbers or peppers or tomatoes you know just that reconnection you know flowers herbs like herbs are easy to grow you know and, and and that's a fun way to get reacquainted with you know with, right. with your mother earth you know right i tried to turn my patio into a garden this summer um <laughs> i tried <laughs> i'm in a bad spot um my my ivories and my um i forget what you call it. this my this one of my growing 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 but I got some vegetables. I got some herbs um, out of some stuff, but my tomatoes and cucumbers did not make it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it again. And I try it every year. I try, I try it every year. I, I'm the one that does something when you get the fruit. I'm not the one that cultivates the fruit. Hey, we got to know. Hey, that's right. We got we to gotta play with, with our strong suits. You know what I mean? Right. There's somebody else for that. <laughs> that's right. Trying. I'm working on. I'm determined. I'm determined to have that flourishing porch. And like, oh, that's the plant lady. I'm determined. That's right. <laughs> I gotta pull you. Are you in the uh, group on Facebook? Um, Black girls with house who love house plants. No, I'm or not in there. I'm. I'm ashamed. I've been seeing. <laughs> I've been seeing the group. 
Oh, it's a beautiful group. I have to add you in. And by the way, I don't want to um, come that I've killed tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. There's a garden aspect and then the plant. I'll, I'll pull you in. By the way, y'all, we um, we just finished a seven-day detox challenge in um, the Well Red group over in Facebook, which was so great. I did that liquid, the liquid fast, and then I did five days with y'all. I didn't do seven. I did five because um, we had that listening. We had like a little listening party at home with the children and we were playing all our favorite music and we had snacks and stuff with nice. the listeners. But I had already done that liquid right. once I see my time. <laughs> right on. It was great. It was great. We're gonna do it again to invite some more people and periodically do different things. Like I wanna look at a womb cleanse, maybe a three day something mm -hmm. where we do some steams and modify the diet just a little bit, try to consume things to nourish the womb. So we got some other things coming down the pike too. Honey, we've been on here for fifty minutes. Can you believe it? I can't. It's, you know, <laughs> when we get to talking about this fetish of ours, you know, because <laughs> like, this definitely is a fetish, and and like we could explore the other side of food, of plant plant based food and fetishes and stuff. We we have only put our toe in the water, so we're gonna have to come back. Oh, we will. Some some of the more um, aphrodisiac mm. type things that you can do with food, like on a grown grown tip. And everything, because I love food that I love uh, vegetables, fruits, and all that that much. Mm. So that's right. So you, so you know what a plant fetish is. I got one too. Right, right, right. Right. That's on. right. Kaya, thank you for being here with me. Thank you, sis. I appreciate you and being such an inspiration and and giving us a nice education and and being so real and beautiful, sis. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. everybody for joining us. Peace, everybody.